Please join with me in today's scripture reading from Ephesians 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We've actually uh, already have gone through those verses that Myra just read actually back in August, if you can believe it was that long ago. But I thought it would be kind of strange to come back and start this Ephesians studies with verse 22. I don't know if you've read ahead. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And yeah, let's get started. You know, so uh, I think what we're going to do is do like a quick review, level set a little bit before we embark forward in Ephesians. Uh, And so we'll cover verse 22 next week. So just to re-enter this study of Ephesians, and I thought we'd take a few verses from before just to kind of give us the context in, in which those are the verses that Myra read to us. And I'd like us to pay close attention to those verbs in verses 17 through 21. Understand what the will of the Lord is be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks always and for everything to God, and lastly, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we have this background and this context in this section of chapter 5 that gives us this principle of submission, which Paul will share in the most involved and the most intimate of relationships that we have. And of course, there are many more relationships that these principles can be applied to, whether you're thinking of sports or education, uh, recreation, any relationship really, you can apply these principles, but Paul will address these specific intimate areas, and they are family, marriage, family, and work. And so it's really important to keep in mind as we go through this Ephesians studies that the scriptures are to be understood in light of Christ and the church. So when we're looking at this relationship between husband and wife or parent and child or employer and employee, we're looking at this in light of Christ and the church. And so that's really important to keep in mind as we look at these things. Now skip down to verse 32 and it reads this. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the emphasis, the focus in looking at our relationships are in light, in focus of Christ and the church. As we go further into these studies, I need to point out additional reminders, and an important reminder is this grammatical structure of Ephesians. If you are with us, Way back when, I think it was in 2020 when we started this study, there's this really important grammatical structure between chapters 1 through 3 and 4 through 6. And so now that we're in chapter 5, that means 
that we're in the section that Paul gives imperative instructions as to what we are to do and who we are to become. And this started in chapter 4. But before we get to that, what we are to do, what, who we are to become in 4 through 6, we need to look at the all-important chapters of 1 through 3, where Paul points out what God has done for us. And the first half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is not a bunch of imperatives. They are not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It is actually a love letter. It's a love letter explaining the wonder of God's plan. It's explaining God's provision. And if we go about reading the Bible out of that context, without that, we're going to misinterpret the heart of God. And Christians have not been good at representing the heart of God all the time, have we? And there are some Christians who don't understand that chapters 1 through 3 came before chapters 4 through 6. And so they just start giving out these Christian ethics or these Christian do's and these Christian don'ts. And that is just misrepresentative because it's absent of chapters 1 through 3 and that is a very dangerous thing to do. And it's why a lot of people have a really bad taste of Christianity. We can't skip the first half and just jump to the second half. You can't just start telling people imperatives of what to do and what not to do. People need to know who God is, what God did for them, why God did it, because that's the most important half. That's the gospel. You know, so often we think we're presenting the gospel by just presenting a bunch of Christian ethics or a bunch of Christian rules. And that's not the case. The gospel isn't the second half. The gospel is the first half. The second half is for those who have already believed the first half. That's, that's who that's for. And so we don't go about telling people these do's and don'ts of Christianity without telling them who God is, how much God loves them, why he loves them. So when we skip chapters 1 through 3 and we go right into what we do or what we don't do, then we've skipped what is divine and we jump right into our own flesh of just telling people what they should and shouldn't do. And as Christians, we recognize we are in need of this divine intervention. What we do, who we are becoming, is more than what we can do on our own that we need the Spirit of God. And that's what the first half of Ephesians is all about, what, what God has done in Christ. He does everything in chapters 1 through 3. There's nothing that we've done. If you look at all those verbs in there, there's nothing that we've done. And then it's not until chapter 4 that we start this instruction from Paul that we are to do something. Because chapters 1 through 3 are full of indicative verbs. There are no verbs in there that are telling us what to do. It's those indicative actions of God that lead to a believer's imperative response in chapters 4 through 6. And that's where the verbs start to change to an imperative form is in chapter 4. You won't read it before that. So it's really important to keep this in mind as we look at the letter of Ephesians. And so we look at this structure of the letter Chapters 1 through 3 points out who Christ is. Chapter 4 through 6 is who we are in Christ while we are in our Ephesus 
or Oakland or your respective city, that we are citizens of the kingdom while we are citizens of our own respective cities. And we are, we are seeking understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus where we live. And one of the incredible ways God has shown what is possible through him is this reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles who have been hostile with each other through the centuries. And where these two people groups once despised one another and couldn't believe that each other believed one certain thing. But the thing is, in Christ, by God's grace, that wall of hostility that once existed between Jew and Gentile was torn down. That in Christ, out of these two divided bodies, he made one, the body of Christ. And this is what Christ does. That the body of Christ, us, we are to live among what is broken, what is divided, what is hostile, and we are to bring restoration. We are to bring reconciliation. So that when we look at these intimate relationships like marriage, family, work, we look at these relationships in light of Christ and the church. And then back to verse 32 again. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That's the light we are to look at this through. And so those who believe chapters 1 through 3, Christians, believers, we look at marriage as Christ's covenant love for his bride, the church. And so Christian marriage is much more profound. It is much deeper than a marriage license that says you're legally married that you just go down to City Hall and you get and that's it. It's much deeper than that. For the Christian, we'll never grasp the meaning of marriage unless we understand the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, you don't have to be married to understand this relationship between Christ and the church because our identity is not in being married or even in being single. Our identity as believers in Christ isn't tied to that. Our identity is being made in the image of God. That's our identity. And then remade through the work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our identity. It's not in a marriage relationship or singleness. So if you're married, you live into that marriage as Christ and the church. And if you are single, you still live your life as citizens of the kingdom while citizen of your respective broken city. And so how do you live among this broken community and you bring about restoration, you bring about reconciliation with those who are hostile and divisive? So you see why Paul doesn't just write about this covenant of Christ and the church within the picture of marriage because that's not the only place that it shows up. He also paints this picture within the family, and he also paints this picture within work, and he could have done it on and on and on, but he kind of just says, okay, I picked the three, and that's what we're going to do. It's the most intimate. This fits a lot of people. So first, we'll be looking at marriage. We won't be able to get very far at all today. We'll, we'll pick up verse 22 next week. This is just kind of like a re-intro study, but we'll, we will take a deeper dive into those relationships in the next couple of weeks, and in the past couple of years, I have to let you know I've done a lot more pastoral counseling with marriage than I have ever done in these past two years. And COVID has done something crazy. 
and especially amongst families, there's a lot of counseling that needs to happen there, and especially amongst married couples. It's just been a really, really problematic time. Now for some, which I've actually found to be in the minority, it has been a blessing where it's actually brought them closer. But I have to tell you, they're in the minority. <laughs> and the majority, it's been problematic. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it reads this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I believe that there's attack against marriage, and it's not simply just flesh and blood. It's because of how this represents this relationship between Christ and the church. And so there's something a lot more sinister, a lot more deep in terms of this attack on this very intimate relationship that we have with our spouses. There's a, a deep spiritual element to that. Now we all know that there's always been this rebellion against God, that by human nature we've rebelled against God and we've wanted to do things our own way. That's what Genesis 3 is about, right? Go back to Genesis 3, look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the answer is yes, God did say. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So yes, he did say that. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Um, yes, you will. Verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this lies our rebellion, that we can discern what is good and what is evil, that we know better than God. What we'll be looking at in the scriptures moving forward, starting from next week, is going to be controversial to some. More so for those who don't believe in chapters 1 through 3, and I totally get it. I understand why you would be. But if you don't believe chapters 1 through 3, we as Christians aren't to hold you accountable for chapters 4 through 6. right? So we don't, we don't tell people to do this stuff if they don't believe chapters 1 through 3. We don't tell them to believe chapters 4 through 6. Now, for, for those of you who aren't believers, what I really hope is that you can forgive those of us who have misrepresented Christ to you by throwing chapters 4 to 6 at you without you even knowing the gospel, without you even knowing that God loves you so deeply and who God is and what he's done for you. We were wrong to do that. And I understand how offensive many parts of the Bible can be to you, but understand that Christians are never to judge you or to condemn you. That's simply just not our place as people. But if you do believe chapters 1 through 3, if you are remade by the Holy Spirit, then you are accountable to chapters 4 through 6. 
you kind of like signed up for that. Now, of course, you can still be offended. But you also understand chapter 3 of Genesis, though, right? That we are actually in no place to think that we know better than God. That we discern between good and evil. And the bigger conflict regarding the Bible and its teachings actually isn't a fight that we have to fight outside of the church because they don't believe chapters 1 through 3. So what is there to fight about? We don't tell them to do these things. They don't believe this, so why even bother with this? The battle's actually inside the church. And this is really tough because we're all supposed to believe chapters 1 through 3, but then now we're not in agreement with chapters 4 through 6. But then how's that to be? Because if we're not in agreement with chapters 1 through 3, then really are you a believer and are you really accountable to chapters 4 through 6? You know, when you, when you sign on for something, there are commitments, there are duties, there are responsibilities to what you signed on for. So whether that be a marriage license or whether you agreed to sign on to a job or to join a rec league in a sports team, or you've committed to adopt, or whatever it may be, you, you signed on to something, and you agreed to be part of something, and then under that umbrella of rules, you agreed to that. And it's similar in regards to Christianity. Now, I know there is a, a very wide range of beliefs within Christianity, so I can only address our own church and you who is listening. And so for our church, do we believe the Bible? And then for you individually, do you believe the Bible? I can't address all the whole spectrum. I can only address our church right now. And so do you personally and does our church, whom if you're a member here, if you've been attending here, if you've been giving here, I think you've kind of agreed in terms of like statement of faith and things like that. Where are your beliefs in terms of the authority, the sufficiency of the Bible? And it's in our statement of faith where that is in terms of infallibility, inspiration, all those things. And so when we look deeper into verse 22 next week, this controversial verse of wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, I expect those who haven't heard or understood chapters 1 through 3 to receive that out of context, which is a big reason why I didn't just jump into verse 22 today. They're like, what? And I hope that those who know and believe chapters 1 through 3 will look at these verses within its context. And I realize that many parts of the Bible are challenging, but if you believe only what you like, and you disbelieve what you don't like, then it's not the Bible you believe. You're believing in yourself. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 3 again, where you think you know better than God, and you think you know what is good and what is evil. This is what our church believes. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Our church believes that. We believe that the word of God is inspired by God, not just those who are writing the holy scriptures, that they were filled with this divinity to write what they wrote, but that the very scriptures themselves are divine. That's what we believe. 
And the message of the Bible is how God comes to restore what is broken in the world, to reconcile with a world that has rejected him so that God goes to this extreme, this extreme of sending his son to atone for our rebellion, our sin against him. That's our belief. Now, there's this popular phrase that's been thrown out there, especially during these COVID times like this, I believe in science, right? I believe in science. And then there's this popular thought to, to follow the science, like follow the science. And then both sides accuse each other of following the science or believing in science. And it's like, oh my gosh, like this is ridiculous. Because science doesn't always have the answers. Because if it does, then it wouldn't require research. Right? It doesn't have all the answers. That's why we have research. And so there are a lot of questions to be asked, and then a lot of answers come back and they are found. And it's so it's similar to many aspects of Christianity, that there are many, many challenging things to think through, to figure out, to research. And there are these mysterious things about the Bible that get revealed as time moves forward. So when we move forward to verse 22 and beyond in Ephesians, if you don't believe the Bible as authoritative and inspired and infallible, if you don't believe chapters 1 through 3, we're not going to force 4 through 6 on you. It's not our place. Chapters 4 through 6, what we're going to be going through, are for those who believe. So if you don't believe it, don't worry about it. If you do believe it, then those are things you have to call into question for yourself. Authoritative word of God, inspired by God, infallible, is it or not? And as we study the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as we do here, we'll come to these challenging verses. I was hoping Jesus would come back by now. I mean, I, I gave a lot of time, right? Like sabbatical, advent, holiday, got COVID, like, oh, Lord, come on. There's nothing more I could do. I couldn't drag my feet anymore. Here we are. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We believe the authority of the Bible. We believe it to be the inspired word of God. We believe it's all for us to teach us. And some of you may be thinking, but science does answer questions. How does the Bible answer questions? Well, let's look at some of the data. Maybe you haven't thought of this before, but do you realize that the Bible was written over a 1,500-year period? And it has over 30 authors in that time span of over 1,500 years. And did you know this? that the vast majority of those authors, almost all of them, they didn't have any contact with one another. I mean, is that interesting? Because if you read Genesis through Revelation, there's this theme through it that they're all telling the same story. How is that possible? Over 1,500 years, over 30 authors, and it's the 
Same harmonious story giving the same account of humanity and the need of salvation through the sacrifice of God. The same story, Genesis to Revelation, over 1,500 years, over 30 authors, the same thing. So don't you think, possibly, there's one author directing all 30 of these people over 1,500 years with the same story? Possibly. The Bible was written over 2,000 years ago. And to this day, it's the most read book in the world. What other book over 2,000 years old can still address the philosophical questions, the ethical questions, the cultural questions of today that can work with science, that can work sociologically throughout the planet, that is archaeologically accurate, what other book that is over 2,000 years old can still do that and be studied today and still do this where it transcends culture, it transcends time? And we can go over many more proofs of the Bible, but ultimately, no matter how many I show you, it's not going to convince you to believe chapters 1 through 3. It is the Holy Spirit who helps you see chapters 1 through 3. And then you can go on to believe chapters 4 through 6. And I'm not going to be the one that's going to be able to convince you. Nor is anyone else. It is only by the Holy Spirit. And if you believe chapters 1 through 3, your concept of marriage, of family, of work, of relationships will be completely reshaped by the scriptures and you will be directed with these imperatives in chapters 4 through 6. And if not, you're going to pick and choose what is helpful for you, but then you're really not held accountable to any of it. You're not held accountable to chapters 4 through 6 if you're not believing in chapters 1 through 3. You're not accountable to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I mean, it's nice, it's, it's a good concept, it's a good principle, but you don't have to. There's nothing holding you to that. As believers, we're instructed to, and we're held accountable to it by God. The, the Bible, the Word of God, instructs us in all matters of life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. Believers, chapters 1 through 3. And we all know people who once followed Jesus Christ, but they no longer do. We all know them. Even people who were very devout and they served in ministry, they were pastors or missionaries or elders, they were serving a lot in a church, they all have something in common though. This is something I found that they all have in common. They no longer believe in the authority, the infallibility, the inerrancy, the sufficiency of the word of God. They don't believe that anymore. That's something I found in common in all of them. So this introductory message before we get into verse 22 next week is to reestablish the doctrine of the church and Christ. Christ and his church. And belief in Christ does not have much to do with intellect because there are some very brilliant people who believe and there are some extremely brilliant people who don't believe. And there are some 
not as bright people who believe, and not as bright people who don't believe. So it has nothing to do with intellect. It is by the Spirit. If it was simply intellect, I think you would believe. Because either the Bible is true, or it is the greatest lie to ever exist over thousands of years that people still believe it. Right? Like Greek mythology, people believed it at one time, but like no one believes that now. My eight-year-old is really into Percy Jackson. She loves that stuff. She's reading and she like loves looking at artwork and all this stuff. And she asks me questions about it, but she doesn't like believe it. Like nobody believes it. If it was just intellect, let me just give you a really, really small list. The list is so much larger in terms of intellectual giants. But I'm just going to give you a very, very small list of Christians, people who believe chapters 1 through 3. And you might not even know that these people were very strong believers, but they were. Do you know who Francis Bacon is? He is, who is credited with establishing the scientific method. A believer. Galileo. I think all of you have heard of Galileo, right? But one of the major role players in the scientific revolution during the Renaissance. Blaise Pascal. So if you are in physics or math or computing or theology, you know about Pascal. Famous thinker because there's Pascal's law of physics, there's Pascal's theorem within mathematics, there's Pascal's calculator within computing, there's Pascal's wager within theology. Brilliant. The discoverer of gravity, a believer in chapters one through three, Isaac Newton. Um, this one, I, I wondered about this one because he, he haunted my mind because Boyle's law, chemistry, right? Robert Boyle, one of the most important figures in chemistry, a believer in chapters one through three. Gregor Mendel, father of modern genetics, a believer in chapters one through three. Louis Pasteur, the creator of pasteurization, a believer in chapters one through three. The list is long, really long. I just went just like a little span of a couple hundred years, but it's so long. And so either it is truth or it's really the greatest lie ever to trick the greatest minds to ever exist on the earth. Like, which one is it? And it's not by intellect. It's by the Spirit. That each person will have to humbly come before God in order to come to belief. That's how it works. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we are thankful for your word, and as we enter into topics and, and verses that can be offensive, that can be controversial, I pray that there is a grace that abounds in the words, in our fellowship, in our, in our community, and in our worship, that we don't come through these things just kind of blaring chapters four through six without presenting your heart for your people. 
for people who have been divided from you because of rebellion, and then there's this hostility created and this division created, and yet your heart is to restore, your heart is to reconcile, and you took such a huge chance on us to do it who are broken, who are struggling with Genesis 3, thinking that we know the difference between good and evil, and so may we continually submit to you as the church to Christ to present this beautiful love story, this chapters one through three, to people who don't know you. So Holy Spirit, please fill our lives and fill our words, fill our actions to be able to do this. I ask that we would be able to remove our flesh and to remove our own pride and arrogance from this. We're honored that you would entrust us with such a powerful message and plan to execute. It's a really humbling call. But you do call us to that, and we ask for your equipping in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, anyone needing communion elements, please just raise your hand, and um, we'll get that over to you. And we'll just start by having the cracker on top of this. I don't know what you'd even call this. This. And um, symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. And this was the plan. This was chapters one through three that God had. And this material sacrament that we have that we can celebrate every week to remind us of the sacrifice of Christ to reconcile, restore us to himself. Let's take this together. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the body of Christ spilled for us. Let's take this together. Christ Jesus, we thank you for these tangible symbols of your love, of your sacrifice. We pray, Lord, that we can take this inventory of where we are with you um, to reset a path if we've strayed from it. In Jesus' name, amen.